to 17. The armour of God. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Excellent. Thank you, David. Good morning, everyone. Good morning to our folks at home as well. Um, my name's Etienne, and I get to take you through the, what we call the message part of the service. Um, yes, and before I dig into that, let me just quickly, permit me two minutes to just update you on Mike prayed for me and prayed for us, and um, some of you may not be in the loop of this, but most of you will be. Um, I just want to update you on where we're at with talking to uh, this church in Brisbane and this core process and all that sort of stuff. Um, Mike mentioned, I am off to Brisbane this afternoon. I'll be there until Wednesday just to meet with key leaders there, pray, ask questions, paint as clear a picture of the situation there as we possibly can. Then I will return. I'm going alone. Don't know the kids are not going with me. It's not, not possible, unfortunately. Um, then we'll return. Then I've got two weeks of annual leave coming up. So you won't see me around after today for a good two Sundays and all that. Um, but that's where we are. <laughs> We're in Tassie as a family, ready to just kick back and uh, get out of range of, of everything and everyone. And uh, yeah, rest and think and pray and play. And then once we're done out of that sort of leave period, uh, we will report back to you and others as to what we believe will happen. I am confident, very confident, that a good decision will be made. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for those who have spoken with me in the two weeks since we first announced this process. I really value and appreciate um, all your contributions. You're a part of this decision, um, whether you like it or not, you are. And so thank you for that. Continue to pray. Continue to cast our eyes on Jesus. You'll get this thing well and truly through for us. So 
thank you for that. I just wanted to announce that so you know what to expect, you know where you stand. And now I want us to park that very far out of our minds, out of our sight, because we have far more important things to think about this morning. You've already been introduced to the theme of this day, and I'd like to just elaborate now a little bit more on that and let you in on why we do this and why it's significant and why it affects you and me and all of us. Well, let me start by pointing to another great phenomenon affecting our world today. Even as we gather here, parts of our country are in lockdown. People are working from home, homeschooling children, unable to visit loved ones. Only shopping for essentials, wearing masks, lining up for the jab. We're still battling COVID, aren't we? And you question, you might question, why do we do all this stuff? Why all, this, uh, all these measures we take? Why all the various things that have become part of life now that never were because of COVID? Well, here's why. Because we need protection. As a entire human race, we have an enemy here. This virus is our enemy. Worldwide, 190 million people have been infected. Over 4 million people to date have died from COVID. In Australia, we've got some 32,000 cases. We've got over 900 deaths. Federal and state governments are spending billions, billions to defeat this virus. The fact is, we're in a battle, a tremendous battle, in which the aim is to defend ourselves, to protect ourselves. Today, I want to draw your attention to another battle that's going on. Because there is a battle going on. I want to talk about a much more sinister insidious battle that's going on, an unseen battle of horrific proportions, a battle where thousands and thousands, millions of people actually, are being attacked day after day after day. Here's a story of one of those people. His name's Dom. Let me read to you just the first part of Dom's story. As an impoverished farmer in rural Cambodia, Dom battled to provide for his family. He struggled even to put food on the table. Until one day, a visitor came to Dom's village and made Dom an offer he couldn't refuse. Dom could travel to Thailand and work on a fishing boat, making more money than he ever would in Cambodia. Dom agreed, hoping... It would be the door to a better life for him, for his family. Dom reached Thailand and when he was put on a boat with other Cambodian men, everything changed. Dom came to the horrible realisation that he had been sold into forced labour slavery without even knowing it. He wasn't paid he couldn't leave. He was forced to work 19 to 20 hours a day. The boat travelled thousands and thousands of kilometres out to sea, 
far beyond the reach of help or hope. Dom was trapped in horrendous conditions. He had to work even when sick. Any mistake would draw a beating. Others were thrown overboard as punishment. Living in constant terror and fear, Dom didn't know if he would make it to the next day, let alone see his family again. And this unspeakable torture continued for, this really struck me, six years. <laughs> six years that man lived in those conditions on that boat. You know, the truth is that Dom is just one of 40 million people oppressed in modern slavery. We're not just talking fishing boats either. There is almost no end of industries that profit or dabble in this sort of thing from quarries, brick kiln, kilns, rice mills, silk production. Modern slavery contained goods we use every day. Hardware, clothing, chocolate, tuna, technology, you name it. And then, we're not even touching here on the abhorrent reality of sexual slavery, right? Online sexual exploitation of children rampant in the Philippines. An industry where Australians, Australians are the third highest consumers of this unimaginably abhorrent destruction of young lives. Right? The slavery and oppression of 40 million people. I put it to you this morning, not me actually, International Justice Mission, they released this content. It's one of Satan's tools we need to realise to destroy precious human lives. 40 million people made in the image of God. Every single human being reflecting the glory, the splendour, the grandeur of the Creator God. 40 million of them being marred, being destroyed, being horribly broken up. The point is that this enemy that we're fighting, church, is, is dangerous. This is why we're thinking about what Paul writes in Ephesians 6. Here's what we read this morning. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's true. You know, the devil's ways of destroying and wrecking human life extends to more things than slavery. There are multiple ways in which the devil destroys you, me, and the place in which we live. We, we can add to that things like greed and materialism and you know, lies and falsehoods in, in the media and all those sorts of things. But we also know that right from the start, right from creation, right from the fall of mankind, straight up, Satan would use humans to destroy humans. Satan would use humans. If we're not going to destroy ourselves, he will use other humans to destroy other humans. And could there be, could there be 
a more horrific example of the devil's schemes than a $150 billion industry designed to destroy the lives of others. What do we do? I mean, those are just the facts. They're, they're indisputable. They're, it's truth. Undeniable. What do we do? Now, that's the question, isn't it? How does that affect us? We're, we're, we're in some ways very... Are we blessed? I don't know if I want to say that we're blessed, but I'm going to say the reality is we're very far removed in our daily lives from these realities, aren't we? These are things that happen there, out of sight, out of mind. And yes, the purpose of this particular Sunday is to say, <laughs> it can't be. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that the likes of us can go through all our lives and <laughs> completely live oblivious, utterly uh, inert or immune, if you like, to, to these realities. Which is what the point of Freedom Sunday really is. This is why we celebrate it, because God wants you to stand. God is calling us into this battle. In fact, you could argue that God is calling the church to take the lead in this battle, to speak up for those whose voice cannot be heard. It's nothing new. God has always called his people to stand up for the cause of the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the oppressed. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you'll come across numerous Passage after passage after passage after passage. Where it's the people of God who worshipped him in ways that they thought were right, were good, were pleasing to God. And yet again and again and again, God responds by saying, you have not upheld the cause of the fatherless, the widow, the oppressed. Can I read to you a passage from Isaiah where we read some of the strongest language that we've ever heard about God? Here's what God said. Truth is nowhere to be found. Whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. Do you get there what God is really upset about? There was no one to intervene. This is God talking to his people. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. You see how cool this is? Let me scroll back to the passage we read. There's this incredible uh, description of, of, of if, if God's people are going to enter into battle with the spiritual forces of evil that are at work in this world. In other words, if you're going to establish an organization like IJM, if you're going to uh, mobilize a church to get involved in that sort of work, you know, this is a battle. This is a spiritual battle. You can't get into that battle unprepared. You can't get into that battle alone. 
You need every single gift and empowering, uh, yeah, empowering gift that God gives His church. That's what's listed for us in Ephesians 6, chapter 13 to 17. I'm not going to read it again, but you get the drift there. If you're going to get into battle, you need to put on the armor of God for that battle. And then, stunningly and strikingly, in Isaiah 59, we read, it's God Himself who puts on that armor, who steps directly into battle, who comes into it himself, as he has done in Isaiah's day and age and all throughout the Old Testament. God says, I'm so appalled that my people are doing nothing about injustice, I'm going to put this armor on myself. And yet you and I live in a time when God's Son has come. He has died. He was raised to life. His Spirit was poured out. That armour that God Himself put on in the Old Testament is yours, is mine, belongs to the church. He's given it to us. Which means that we will never fight this battle in our own strength. We'll never win our own victory. We battle in the power and the protection of Jesus who in his cross and the resurrection has already won the decisive victory. In his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Church, as we engage in the battle to free those who are captives, as we meet the waves of injustice, as we seek to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one's destruction, God says to us, put on my armour, church. And we'll stand. In Jesus' resurrection power, we'll stand and we'll fight. And in him we'll stand in victory. In his armour, we will set captives free. We'll set captives like Dom free. One day the fishing vessel that Dom was on was seized by Indonesian authorities. Dom and the other men from Cambodia were allowed to return home. To his horror, when Dom finally arrived home, He found that his own son had been deceived and trafficked by the same people who had enslaved him. In time, Cambodian police introduced Dom to IJM, who had been working to stop labour trafficking in the region. As IJM intervened, Dom and others, uh, we interviewed Dom and others, rather, we discovered a network of traffickers who had just been operating for nearly a decade. Authorities eventually arrested three key players. With IJM support, Dom testified in court and three traffickers were convicted and thankfully his son was also rescued and returned home. Dom later confided how proud he was to stand up for his rights. He felt it was the first time in his life he had been able to do this. He can now enjoy seeing his children, 
grow up in safety. RJM continues to build bridges between law enforcement entities in the region. We continue to dismantle trafficking networks across Thailand, Cambodia and Myanmar. By the end of 2018, we had seen eight additional convictions. That's a victory. That's an enormous victory. And this is where the connection point lies between, say, an organisation like IJM and you and I, the church. And their question to us this morning is a, is a great question. It's the question that we need to answer to ourselves. It is the call to stand, is to say, will we stand? I'm not necessarily saying to you that, and we're not saying that this organisation, IJM, is the only organisation that does this. Their heart and our heart is to raise the issue to you, to me, to understand that there are millions who are in the heart of God and for whom he desires justice and freedom. We do, however, look at this organisation, IJM, and say, here's a great organisation among perhaps others who do excellent work in one of the most critical areas on the globe today. They're not a relief organisation. It's a justice organisation. Reality is we can feed people for as much as we like. But unto what? Unto a corrupt, broken, unjust environment where exploitation and destruction lies ahead of them every single time. <laughs> what this does is it brings justice. It creates the world which reflects the heart of God, the fairness, the place where perhaps you and I kind of live in, where we have opportunities, where we can pursue God's call on our lives without threat or less threat. And that's what we want you to think about. So one call to action I put before you this morning is, is a call to support international justice mission. I invite you, I invite all of us, I invite you Zoom folk wherever you are to perhaps consider doing two things. I would say the first one we should all do. Pray. Pray regularly. Pray in your prayer groups. Pray that God's heart of justice will manifest itself in the parts of our world where it's most needed. If you look at your own children, pray for children who don't know the world that yours actually knows. Pray for the likes of Dom. Pray for our church. Pray that God would lay it on the heart of many leaders to be involved in this sort of work. Pray that God would provide resources for them. And then finally, yes, we do encourage you to give financially. We're not connected to this as a church. This doesn't get funneled through us as a church. IJM uh, as an organisation, would encourage you to give once off or to do a monthly gift of $31 or more. That's the most concrete thing you can do to rescue people from slavery. That QR code that's up there is one you can scan in and we might just have it on there again after the service. If you want to scan it, that'll lead you to the place where, we can, where you can give or sign up or consider a once off gift uh, if you can do so. Every gift... Every freedom partner allows us to stand up as an army against the powerful of the world who prey on the vulnerable.
And friends, it is going to take an army. It is going to take a movement of churches, all clothed in God's armour to lead this nation to be involved in the ending of slavery and everyday violence against those who are poor. Will you become a freedom partner? And if you are one, will you consider to step up your effort, your prayers, your gifts, your donations? Let me pray for us. Father, we do pause, we do think today. Not firstly of those who are victims of slavery, but firstly of you, our Father, who loves and to whose heart those who are being exploited and whose lives are being destroyed are incredibly close. Thank you for the work done by faithful followers of you, the likes of those who fill the ranks of IJM. Father, we pray that you'd sustain them. We pray that you'd provide for them. We pray that you would give to them all that they need to increase their work. We pray fruit of their work. We pray for incredible intervention, Lord, in the areas where there is slavery and trafficking. Will you bring freedom? And Lord, we thank you that you give us an opportunity to be involved in this. Will you lead us? Will you call us? Will you make us faithful to take up our responsibility, our call to partner with you? We pray for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to show one video just to sort of wrap this segment of the service up and then we're going to move into celebrating the Lord's Supper. So thank you, Ryan and Andrew. You guys can roll that. Finally, be strong in the Lord and put on the full armour of God so that you, the church, can take your stand against the enemy. When you hear that there's 40 million people trapped in slavery today, that 71% are female, that one in four are kids, does it make you want to take a stand? Because these stats are not merely a global development snapshot, but the evidence of an enemy at war. Spiritual forces at work wielding lust, fear, greed, and violence. This enemy hopes we'll stay seated. He wants us sleepy and self-absorbed. Worried about rocking the boat, focused within the four walls of our churches. He wants us turning away from tough stories of sexual exploitation. Offended that such a topic could even be raised at church. Overwhelmed by heaviness. Seated. Frozen. But we're the ones with the spiritual armor needed to stand. God has given it to us, the church. So it's time for us to rise. To take up our armor make a stand, a stand against injustice, for justice, a stand for the vulnerable trapped in slavery and the frontliners fighting for them. Because 
when we stand together, united to end slavery, we can take on this evil industry and the spiritual forces behind it. Let's start now. Wearing God's armor, strong in His mighty power. Let's take our stand. Can I read to us just this one verse from Romans 6 verse 18 and I want to link just what we've just heard and know about the heart of God, freedom to, to what we're about to celebrate which is, which is the Lord's Supper. Uh, and if you're new to church or if you're new to faith, that's okay, you're not forced to participate in this. Um, if you're at home on Zoom, um, Yes, please, if you can just participate with us in this in spirit, we, we're aware of you being with us around this table this morning.